Good morning, church family. How are you today? Don't we have so much to be thankful for? Amen. Um, during the season of Thanksgiving, you know, I, I, uh, I've watched some, some really neat things over the past couple of weeks. I know that Mary Ann's not here. I think Mike and I know Mike and Colleen were here in our earlier service, but um, we have so, so much to be thankful for it, it in the inside of this church family and what God has done and what God is doing. And uh, last Saturday, there was an event uh, that was put on. There was Marianne Mobilian was a big part of that, uh, Colleen, our Colleen, and many others, many others. But they raised close to $40,000 for Beyond the Walls. Isn't that a lot? Yeah. And as a result of, as a result of that and, and many other, just, I mean, our community is great. You're great. Our community is great. But as a result of that, yesterday, we served multitudes of people. The line was backed up, I don't know, for maybe a couple of hours as we served our neighbors here within the community, uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, I'll maybe share a little bit more a little bit later, but we're thankful for you, for your service, for you guys being a part to privilege and partner for us to make a difference within our community. And uh, we're very blessed to be, just to be a part of that. And uh, I just, you know, this past week, don't ask Sherry Polk to clean out anything because she'll throw the baby out. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I mean, if, it's, if it ain't moving, this woman's throwing it out. And, uh, but uh, at the last minute, we said, listen, if you want to come help us, staff's getting together. We're going to be cleaning out some rooms because we need extra space. And multitudes of people came. I don't know how many, but a lot of came just to say, what can I do? I can, I've got a two or three hours available. And just pitched in and helped. And for that, you guys are always willing. You're so generous for your time, your resources, um, just your gifts. We, we're so thankful for you. And... Um, what a blessing. But as we give thanks, I'm also very aware that in this season that there are people that are wrestling, people that are struggling. And this is off the cuff, but I just looked at my phone a while ago because my phone kept ringing. It likes to ring. I don't know why it likes to ring. It just rings and beeps and buzzes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we have a lot of our church family, if you don't know it, that are struggling, whether it's in sickness whether there's issues that are going on, relational issues, addictions, different things that are going on inside of the church family. And um, some of you know Stephen May. Steve's been really sick the past, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Deanna asked, would you please pray um, for us? And I, what am I going to say? No. Yeah, we're going to pray for you. But there may be others of you that you would like for us to just make note of the fact that you've got somebody in your family you yourself are struggling with something that's going on. It might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual. Uh, this morning as we begin our time, if that's you, would you just stand there where you are and we just want to take a moment out to pray. Would you do that? Anybody? I'll start calling you out. Yeah. Several people. Several people. Either you're wrestling with a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, something's going on in your life, somebody else's life that you're connected to. And this morning, you want the church family just to pray. Just to pray. People are standing all around. If there's somebody that's standing near you and you feel comfortable enough, 
Maybe, you're, maybe you'd like to go join them. Maybe you'd like to stand with them. Maybe you'd like to just place your hand on them. I'd like for us to pray before we spend time in the Word. Can we do that today? Let's do that. Jesus, in the quietness of this moment, <laughs> we do have so much to be thankful for. But the reality is, God, in the midst of all of our lives, there are things that are happening that we don't understand and we can't control. Things that we have to just cry out to you and, and say, Jesus, would you save me? Would you help me? Would you help me amidst the darkness and the pain? Would you help my family amidst the darkness and the pain and the suffering that we're experiencing? Because at moments and times, it's overwhelming. And it's not only inside of our church family, but it's inside of the lives of people that we know that live in around as other believers, part of other churches, other churches that are wrestling with different things. But God, today, the only thing we want to do is acknowledge, confess. In the midst of that, we're going to bring it to you. We're going to do exactly what the scripture says. We're going to leave it there. That in the midst of the darkness, that we don't have to, to give in to the, the feelings of, of where is God in the midst of this. We know you're there because the scripture teaches us. The only thing we have to do is to continue to focus our eyes on you and to keep head and beheading and moving forward. Father, recognizing that you're with us there in the valley of darkness as well as the valley of death. Would you provide strength to us today? through affirming to us that your word and your word alone is true. God, today would you affirm to us and strengthen us by rec helping us recognize that we're not in this battle alone, but God, that we are surrounded by a family, a family of people that love us, that want to walk alongside of us in this journey, that, that we're not alone, that we don't have to isolate ourselves or, or ignore or set aside maybe what's happening, but Father, we can acknowledge it. And in acknowledging that, we can allow other people to walk alongside of us in this, in this time. Hear us today, Lord, because in this moment of time of thankfulness, there's also a time of weakness, a time of helplessness when we recognize that, Jesus, we need you, and we're so thankful that you're there. Be with us in our time, Father. Would you heal us emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally? Father, would you prepare us to receive that blessing? Thank you for the privilege of praying, for the privilege of recognizing who is in charge, and that's you. Thank you, Father, for the, the privilege of being in your house today to worship you. And now may we spend time in this word, and it may be your word that as we listen, that encourages us to continue to, to be on this journey and to hold on amidst these times that it be, can be so dark. In Jesus' name, I pray today. Amen. Thank you guys for taking a moment out. I really appreciate that. And let me say this. Uh, the holiday season is always a time that, for some of us, a time of joy. For others, it can be a time of great pain and sorrow. I was with a family yesterday that was driving through. I had the privilege of meeting with people as they would drive through, and there were tears, some tears of joy, of thankfulness, but there was one set I remember as the, uh, the lady and her husband drove through and just sobbing. And as I asked, I said, why the tears? 
And she said, well, this is the first, first Thanksgiving, the first holiday that we'll experience without my daughter who lost her life about six months ago. I'm just reminded of that today. May we, may we just be aware as we walk into these times of the privilege we have of just being Jesus to those people. Amen? That's important. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 6 today. We're going to spend a little bit of time. We've been here to sort of let you know where we are. We're going to finish up with Romans 6 today, and then uh, coming back next week, we're going to start a new series uh, dealing with the issues of Advent. We'll walk through Advent together as we anticipate the arrival of Jesus the birth of our Savior and uh, Christmas Eve. It's going to be a great time. You're going to have a chance to hear different people that are going to speak throughout that, throughout that series, and it'll be a, a, just a, a great time as we focus and as we begin to turn our attention towards the celebration of the birth of Christ. But today we're going to finish up in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 and following, and Paul has been really honing in on this thought of being alive in Christ. And, and this is where I want to pick up with you today in, in Romans 6, beginning at chapter 6 verse 15, and we'll read the following through the end of this, this chapter together. Aren't you glad to be here? I, I don't know why you're here today. Maybe this is a part of your regular routine. Maybe this is a part of your church family. Maybe people listening. We're just glad that you're here. But this is what I know. If you listen today, I believe the Holy Spirit has something that he wants us to teach every one of us, something that he wants to impart to us that will help us in this journey of, of following and being his instruments within within this world in which we live. And uh, so this is what Paul says. He's writing to the church at Rome, writing to the believers, a place that he had never been, by the way, but a place that he intended to one day visit. But he had heard about their faith. So here's Paul writing to the believers there, and this is what he said. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? No, of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. But now, now you must give yourselves to slaves, uh, to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of the things that you used to do, things that, etern uh, that end in eternal doom. But now, but now you're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God, and now you do those things that lead to holiness as a result um, and result in eternal life. And then that great passage for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so to this point in chapter 6, we have... We have Paul to simplify. Um, God's, God has not only saved us from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. When it comes to understanding the power of sin, it can be really difficult to understand. Here it is, the power of sin has been broken. 
And that is very difficult to grasp. What does that mean? What, what does it look like? How do I hold on to that? And yet here's Paul over and over and over emphasizing this thought that as believers, we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. You are, as a believer, alive in Christ. Now, James Bryan Smith, who was a writer, a theologian, he was a pastor. This is what he wrote in the, in the book, Good and Beautiful God, that um, some of our guys who's walked through a discipleship group have have read. This is what he wrote, and I quote, the phrase in Christ or in the Lord occurs 164 times in Paul's epistles. In other words, if we were to take what Paul had written in the New Testament, at least 13 letters that we know of, and if we were to take those, this, this thought or phrase in Christ or in the, in the Lord occurs 164 times. Shouldn't this fact lead us to ask, what in the world does it mean to be in Christ? It gets overshadowed, I believe, by the dominant narrative that says Jesus is over there and sinful me is over here. The New Testament does not set Jesus apart from his followers. Rather, those who put their confidence in Jesus are also inhabited by him, inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Christians are people Christ dwells in. Christians are not merely forgiven sinners, but a new species Persons indwelled by Jesus, possessing the same eternal life that he has. When we come to Christ, we confess our sins. When we choose to trust him, what we're saying is that, listen, we're up under new management. Now, last week in verse 14, this is what we read. Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, what I'd like for to do today is I'd like to make this a little bit more personal. So let me read this from my perspective so that it applies specifically to me. So here we go. Sin is no longer my master, for I no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, I live under the freedom of God's grace. <sighs> That's great. I want you to read that with me. Can you do that? And I want you to read it from, from your personal perspective. So where it says your, I want you to put my. Where it says you, I want you to put I. Can you do that for me? So let's read that together and let's, let's, let's personalize this passage, what Paul said. Read it out loud with me. Sin is no longer my master, for I no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, I live under the freedom of God's grace. Let's read that one more time. Let this stick. All right. Sin is no longer my master for I no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, I live under the freedom of God's grace. So here's believers, Paul saying, look, you have been set free. You are no longer enslaved by sin. But why do we sin? <laughs> it isn't because we have to, but now because we choose to. Two. See, before Jesus, we lived under the authority of the old nature, the old self. We were a slave to sin, and as a result, we naturally do what slaves. We did what slaves do. We obeyed our master. We were uh, we uh, we were living in that old nature. We were a slave to sin. We just obeyed our master. We did what we were supposed to do. That was what. That's what we did. That was our master. But all of a sudden. But when we came to try Christ, when we placed our faith in him, we became dead to sin and its power in our lives. No longer were we enslaved to that. Now we have the freedom to live under God's grace because we have a new master. 
Somebody else sits on the throne of our life these days. His name is Jesus. And in those moments when we're tempted by that old nature, the enticements of the world, or, um, or, or Satan himself, we have the freedom to go, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live that way. But just as we have been freed from sin, we also have the freedom to sin. Uh-oh. Woo. What in the world are you saying? Yeah. Because if we aren't free to sin, we aren't really free. Then why do we sin? Because you choose to. You're no longer enslaved to that. And you're no longer in bondage to that. But now it's a choice, a choice that you make. But now because of being in Christ, there's a willing obedience that comes from a new heart and a new mind. So I have the ability to say no to my sinful nature and yes to God. So in verse 15, this is what we find that Paul would write. There's another question. We've seen this. Paul loves to ask questions. And in verse 15, here's another question. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go, that we can go on sinning? And what does he say? No, <laughs> no. Here's Paul posing a question. He doesn't wait for a response. He, did, he didn't leave it open-ended, but he, he answers it. Okay, so does that mean that since we've been set free by God's grace that we can just do whatever we want to do? And his, his response was emphatically, absolutely not. No way, Jose. No, not a way. Considering all, considering the people that Paul would have been writing to, you have to know the audience. I mean, he was writing to, to the Jewish believers that were there, and the written law would have been to them offensive protection. There was safety to them in the law. The 613 laws, there were 365 of those that were, okay, you better do this. There were 248 this, okay, you better not do this. And some of you guys are just, you're doing the math because that's just who you are. See if it, yeah, see, I know you guys. 613, these laws created a sense of security, okay? Um, showed them how to live in relationship with God. Showed them how to live in relationship with man. And if I can just keep those laws, I will be okay. But the problem was, it was impossible. The law wasn't there to save us, but it was there to show us our sin. And so the thought was, if the fence, if the fence isn't present, if the law's not there, I could do whatever I wanted. I could make my own rules, even to the point of sinning. And you might go, well, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Yet how many of us live that way? Don't you hate playing games with somebody that the rules always change? Now, see, I don't like that unless I'm playing with my kids and I want to win. Well, there's a term, and it's called antinomism, which means against the law. Anti, against, nomism, or nomos, which means the law. Theologically, this word antinomism is the belief that there's no moral law that God expects us to hold on to or to obey. But antinomism, what it does is it takes a biblical teaching and it brings about an unbiblical conclusion. The Bible teaches us that the law doesn't save us. Regardless of how much we try, we will never be good enough. But when Jesus died on the cross, we know that his death was sufficient to pay the price that we couldn't pay. 
Later on, Paul would write this in Romans chapter 10. He would say, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So the unbiblical conclusion is that, listen, since the law doesn't save, since I can't keep the law, I don't have to worry about the law, so it means that I can do whatever I want to do because Jesus has already taken care of it. You ever heard somebody with that thought process? You know, I can do whatever I want to. All I have to do is go ask, you know, confess my sins and Jesus will forgive me. And Paul said, no, it doesn't work that way. It brings up an issue of Christian liberty versus biblical accountability. It was something that Paul addressed when he was writing to the church at Galatia when Paul said, listen, freedoms, those freedoms that we have should never cause somebody else to stumble. We're to use our freedoms that we have to serve one another in in love. In other words, just because something is permissible doesn't necessarily mean that it's beneficial. Take fire, for instance. Camping with Dwight, it was cold. We're sitting around the fire. It was nice. 35 degrees, good to have some warmth. Until Dwight said, Sid, something's burning. And then he said, ouch. He had put his shoes up where the fire was, and it had gotten so hot, it burnt, it, it burnt his very expensive hiking shoes. All I could do was laugh. I mean, I would really, I didn't know what to do, but I thought to myself, hmm, you know. And here it is, something that, that can provide warmth and something that can provide comfort and something that can be used for, some, for, for the good also can be so destructive. And you know, it's the same with our Christian freedom. It can heal or it can hurt. And you might say, well, what about the areas that the Bible doesn't talk about, the gray areas? And it's simple. There's a couple of questions, a couple of things that you can think about. Number one, what about is what I'm doing or want to do, is it, does it help me in my pursuit of Christ-likeness? Does it help somebody else in their pursuit of Christ-likeness? If not, then why bother? Second question, does what I'm doing or want to do, does it help build up and encourage the body of Christ? Or is it tearing it down? In other words, is, is what I'm doing or want to do, is it helping me grow spiritually? Is it helping somebody else grow spiritually? Is it building up the body of Christ? If not, then why waste my time? And Paul went on to say in verse 16, don't you realize or know, that's what it's saying. Remember last week we talked about some obstacles because even though come after, coming to know the Christ, after coming to know Christ, there's still a battle between the old and the new. There's the old nature and the new nature. Now there's a huge battle that exists, and we have to figure out how do we battle against the, the obstacles of sin, which still wages against us. Even though we're dead to sin, that sin presence is still around us, and we've got to learn how to say no. And he says here, don't you realize or know there are things that we're supposed to know? How in the world do we know how to live? How can we hold on to the promises of God if we don't know, if we don't know the Word? It's important to know the Word. And so Paul says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin. You can, which leads to death, by the way. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. See, this was a principle that Jesus himself had already addressed back in the Gospels. Maybe you remember, we can only serve, we can't serve two masters. We can't serve too much. No, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one or despise the other. Now, we know that Jesus was talking about 
money, but in the context of what's taking place here, it's universal. What the overriding thought is that whatever we give ourselves to, what's going to happen is you'll become a slave to that. That will become your master. And Paul is saying, look, you're either going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to righteousness. And the results to being a slave to sin, what did he say it was? Death. Death. However, being a servant to God and living in obedience to him, there's freedom and there's righteousness. And in no way, listen, in no way is Paul condoning slavery, but he's using an analogy, an analogy that they would have understood very well at that point in time because they understood that a slave was subservient to his master. What we do, how we act, it's all evidence of whose we are. Let me look you in the eye today and say, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? A person might say, well, what does slavery look like? It's, you know, we don't, we don't live in a time, but it's very simple here. Slavery looks like obedience. You go, see, that doesn't make any sense. The ESV translation of verse 16 says this, do you not know that if you present yourself, you give yourself over, you render yourself to anyone as obedience, obedient slaves, then he says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. That's who you're a slave to, the person that you're obeying, that which to whom you are obeying. Check your expenditures. Check your checkbook. Check your calendar. Check your schedule. And I have to say this day and time, check your social media pages. What are you writing about? What are you commenting on? It's time to go home, isn't it? So we've been talking about slavery to sin. For those of us that are followers of Christ, uh, for, the, for those of who are followers of Christ, we've been baptized into Jesus, meaning we've been baptized into his death. And because of that, we've been set free, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. We have been liberated from sin. We are free. No longer is sin our master. And you know, we haven't just been freed from something, we've been freed for something. And this is what Paul has to say about it in verse 17. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, past tense, you were, he's talking to the believers, but now, present tense, you wholeheartedly, with my whole heart, obey this teaching we have given you. Now, you are free from the slavery of sin and you have become slaves to righteousness living. For the believer, we've been set free. We've been liberated, not from the ability to sin, but from the tyranny of sin. Did you hear that? Not from the ability to sin, but from the tyranny, the oppressive rule. Paul isn't saying that when we come to Christ, that we stop sinning. That opportunity isn't there, but the power of sin that has controlled our life up until this point, it's gone. It's been destroyed because death has been defeated. Jesus defeated it on the cross. And when we choose to sin, now it's because of the fact that we want to, yes, or we're addicted to it, but we've been set free from it. But we don't have to be a slave to sin. We can be a slave to God. Talking about being a slave, some of you might, might go, well, I'm not going to be a slave to nobody. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You ever heard somebody like that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
It's interesting that being a slave to God is the only thing, the only slavery that produces freedom. It sounds crazy, but the scripture is the one that tells us to whom the son sets free, he is free indeed. I mean, how many people say that they're free yet <laughs> figuratively, I mean, you, it's not it's not there visually, but figuratively, but they're still dragging around a ball and chain. Nobody can tell me what to do, and they're just dragging a chain along, you know, and they're under bondage. They're in slavery. There are some people say, you know, if I could only do this, I would be free. If I could have so much money in the bank, or if I could have this position and be CEO, then I could be the one large and in charge. But those things don't bring freedom. See, freedom isn't the absence of a master, but it's recognizing who the true master is. Yeah. And when it comes to Jesus, we're set free. We are set free, but living in that freedom is tough. It is difficult, especially when we've lived our lives under this, this, this slavery for all of this season. But what does that freedom look like? Look at what Paul has to say in verse 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. In other words, since you're, since you're so not smart, since you, since you have a hard time understanding things, let me, let me just sort of simplify it for you, okay? And he goes on to say, previously, talking about the past, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. But now... Since you've been set free, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness. You must choose that, to righteous living so that you will become holy. <laughs> In other words, you remember how your life used to look like before Christ, before coming to Christ, when you presented your body to sin? He said, now, don't do that any longer. Present yourself to God. Before Christ, you were a slave to sin and impurity and righteousness, but present yourself, render yourself to God. It's not just one time and it's done. You know, sometimes I think, well, you know, when, when I give my life to Jesus, everything's just going to be simple from then on out. But let me tell you what, saying yes to Jesus is, man, every day. Matter of fact, it's every moment, every day and every moment. My life in Christ is being challenged because sin wants to, Satan wants to destroy us. This old nature in us, it, man, I tell you what, it's rough. And the world that we live in is filled with all kinds of enticements and allurements, but we have the ability to say no, no. I know that I've been set free from sin. I have the ability to choose life today. Take your speech. Take your speech, your tongue. You know, before coming to know the Lord, I mean, how many of us used our mouth to manipulate, our tongue to manipulate others to get what we want, to speak ill will of others, to tear other people down, to curse people? But we've been freed from that as Christ followers. No longer do I have to give in and be a part of that. But today, Lord, I want to choose to speak in such a way that I am your mouthpiece I don't want to use my tongue to manipulate other people, but I want to use my speech to encourage. I want to build up. I want to bless instead of curse. I want to give thanks and praise. You know, as I was sitting yesterday and I was, I was talking to people as they were coming through, I was, they were coming through the line and we were serving them uh, Thanksgiving meals. As I said earlier, there were tears. And a lot of times I would just stop and I would just say, why the tears? Time after time it would be, 
because I know I'm loved, because somebody cares, because I have Thanksgiving where I wasn't going to have Thanksgiving. Time after time, and as they, I love what we do now because the people, they, they start over here, and once they enter on this campus, they're blessed all the way around. Whether it's somebody giving them something, somebody praying for them, somebody just saying, man, what can I do for you? I mean, all the way around till they get all the way over to beyond the walls. And by the time they get to me, they're done. Emotionally, they're just spent. But I, I, I just, what, what a blessing it is to be able to bless other people. That's a privilege that we have. What about our eyes? You know, before coming to you, Lord, I, I use my eyes to satisfy the desires and wants. But Lord, I want you to use my eyes for your purpose. I want to use my eyes to serve you and honor you. I want to see what you want me to see. Jesus, I want, I want to, to see the opportunities that have been presented before me so that I can see what, what you see. Lord, I want, you to, I want to be able to see the things along the path each day, the, the people around me, the work. I want, I want to, to see the compassion. I, Lord, I want to see the brokenness so that I know how to respond. Use me, Lord. Use me. What about our ears? I mean, in the days past, how many of us have used our ears to listen to the messages of the world that are so distracting, that are so discouraging, that are so defeating? But Lord, what happens if I give my ears to you because I want to hear what you want me to hear? I want to be able to tune out all the other messages that are out there that wants to destroy me. God, help me to, to clear out that and to hear your voice, to hear you clearly. Lord, I want to give my life, not just my eyes and my ears and, my, and my, my voice. I want to give my life to you because I want to be an instrument of your peace. I understand why you created me. And God, I want to give everything that I am to you so that I can fulfill the purpose that you created me for. So a little bit later on in Romans that Paul would reemphasize what he just said here in Romans chapter 12 when he would say, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. <laughs> a lot of times we think worship is singing and raising our hands. No, listen, worship is when we, when we die to self and we say, Jesus, use me. That's worship. That's worship. Galatians chapter 5 Paul, when talking to the church, would go ahead and write, so Christ has set us free. So what are we supposed to do? Now that we're living in this freedom, what are we supposed to do? He says, now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Paul says, listen, don't do it. When you're free, why in the world would you want to give, your back, give yourself back? Why in the world would you want to go back to the slave quarters and present yourself as an instrument of unrighteousness? And the only reason we would do that isn't because we have to, but because we want to. It's a choice. And Paul says in verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. What was the result? What did it get you? You're now ashamed of the things that you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. You know, as you look back on life before Christ, anything you're ashamed of, anything you're embarrassed, I mean, is there stories in your life that you just don't want to go back and tell because of the pain and suffering? 
Are there decisions that if you had an opportunity to go back that you would give anything to take it back because since that moment in time you've bore the burden and the consequences of that sin? And Paul's saying, like, look, when you look back and you recount your life, the sins that maybe you participated in, and he says, what did you gain? What did you benefit from that? What was the fruit from those actions? And Paul said, I'll tell you where. I'll tell you what it was, eternal doom, death, and decay. Sure, I mean, man, sin is fun for a season. I said, let's, let's just be real. Sin's fun for a season. But eventually that season's going to run out. And the Bible is very clear where sin leads. It leads to, to death. Paul says here, eternal doom. James said it this way, James 1. Temptation comes from our desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to, to what? What does sin give birth to? Wake up, people. This is not the 9 o'clock crowd. <laughs> what does sin give birth to? Let's say that one more time. Where does sin give birth to? Death. Death. You mean to tell me that sin leads to death? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you might say, okay, 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 hold on, Sid. What about my life as a believer? I mean, um, are you telling me that I can lose my salvation? I'm not telling you that at all. Don't miss out on what Paul is saying. Listen, Jesus died to break the power of sin. So is my eternity secure? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jude 24, the writer here teaches us that eternal life, security, eternal security is a result of God keeping us. It's not us maintaining our salvation. You don't maintain your salvation. God's the one who gives it. In John chapter 10, it was Jesus himself that says, I'm the one who gives eternal life and no one that can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Man, listen, our eternity in, in Christ is secure. It's secure. Jesus has paid the price. But as a believer, don't ever think that for a second or a moment that death can't touch us, not in eternity, but in other ways. I mean, how many deaths have I seen in my lifetime where a marriage has been ruined or a relationship has been destroyed or a job has been foregone or a partnership has been, has been done away with or a business deal or health decisions because of bad choices, because sin leads to death. I've also seen sin steal the blessings. You ever seen that? Maybe as a, as a parent, as a parent, isn't one of the things that we want to do, we want to bless our kids. I mean, don't you? I mean, I want to, I want to bless our kids. I, I, want, I want to celebrate in the joys of their decision making. Uh, man, what a blessing it is to see them make choices that are great choices, that are, that are honoring the Lord. And I, we just, as parents, I think we desire that so, so much. But what happens when our kids steal the opportunity to bless them because of poor choices? What about it when it's not just our children? What happens when, our, when it's our spouse or somebody else is close to us? I mean, we want to bless them in the joys of their choices and their decision-making, but they, uh, time and time again, they choose slavery to sin instead of freedom in Christ. They want what they want when they want it because they want it. Don't forget this. God doesn't bless nor does he condone our sin in any ways. He doesn't agree with it because he knows the price of sin as well as the consequences of sin. 
He knows the pain of sin because he suffered on Calvary for us. But in the spite of it all, guess what he does? He loves us. He loves us. And it's the same with us as parents. No way can we bless our children or condone when they're living in sin, especially when we, we know the price of sin. I mean, how many parents in here have experienced the price of sin and we're so fearful that one day our kids may have that same experience? Now, but the Bible says that sin brings forth death. And when it says it, it's real. There are no exceptions. However, when we come to Christ, listen, we cannot minimize at all the price of sin. Eternal death, eternal separation, no. Jesus has paid the price. All we have to do is receive it. Jesus has paid that price. But present day death experience will happen because that's what happens when we sin. Sin leads to death. In the last couple of verses, Paul finishes up and he says this, but now you, you, those of us that are believers in this room that are followers of Jesus, you, that's what he would say, you, you are free, not in bondage, you're free from that power which enslaved you, the power of sin, and have become slaves to God. Instead of being a slave over here, you're now a slave to God. You've given yourself freely. You're a slave to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness or sanctification and result in eternal life. And then Paul finishes up, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I said it earlier. Can I say it again? Freedom isn't the absence of a master but it's recognizing who the true master is. Who sits on the throne of your life? Who's in control? See, freedom isn't the absence of a master, but it's recognizing who the true master is. Is Jesus Lord of your life? I mean, if I were to ask you the question today, do you know for certain without a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today where you'd spend eternity? How would you respond to that? How would you respond? Who's your daddy? Who are you enslaved to? Who are you serving? Who's your master? Have you met Jesus? Do you know him? See, when we know him, we have the privilege of being, as a, as a child of the king, we have the privilege of representing the king to the world in which we live. Do you know that the world is watching and waiting? They're watching and waiting. There's no time better than right now for God's people to stand up and to live in righteousness and holiness. That's the call for us as a church, not to gather on Sunday morning, not just to, to do all these great things so that people see what we're doing. Listen, the impact for the world is being made in the quiet places right now. Not what you're going to see on TV, but it's, it's being made in the office and it's being made in the, in the schoolroom and it's being made uh, in a group of people meeting in a, in a room over here and praying. Uh, you want to talk about some of the impacts that are being made around the world. They're being made in quietness, not always on a TV screen. Watch what you see on TV. Watch what you see on what you, what you see out, out there that's, that the world celebrates. 
Be careful. If you don't know Jesus, as I often say, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your world, of your, of your, of your life? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, what a privilege it is to read your word, for us to come to a place of hearing your word, reading it, absorbing it. Today, we recognize that we're alive in Christ. As Christ followers, we don't have to be enslaved and in bondage to sin any more. That's, that, that enslavement has been stopped. It has been destroyed through the power of, through the power of Jesus' death on the cross when he paid the price for our sin. For the wages of sin, the price of sin is death. But the free gift, free, free gift of God is eternal life. And that's a gift that is, that is available to every one of us that is in this room as well as those that are listening to my voice. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, if there's someone listening to my voice today that doesn't know you, even today, would they be willing to cry out and confess their sin to say, Jesus, man, my life is a mess. I'm a sinner. Jesus, would you save me today? The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. The scripture teaches us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And I believe that. For those of us that are believers today, may we be reminded to present ourselves and render ourselves as instruments of your righteousness. That as we walk out these doors for our eyes, our ears, our mouths, every part of us to understand the privilege it is to be your child, to be your representative and ambassador to this world in which we live. Help this community to be a better place because of our, our um, presence here. Help us today not to forget of our, the, the truth of being in Christ and the privilege of what it looks like to be in Christ and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are alive. We're alive. Help us to live in that freedom. No more wanting to turn back and go back to the garbage of the past. To live in that enslavement of sin. But help us to experience freedom. To live in that freedom which leads to righteousness and holiness. Bless us as we walk out these doors today. And Father, may we have a great week as we give thanks for all the good things that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.